Welcome to Stop, Back, and Roll, a podcast about tiny metal balls slowly falling and telling a story alone in a room. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff Stormer, king of two-player games and the original party person. Today we'll be talking about playing two, one, and yes, even zero-player games. So... Uh, we have a very special cast today that we have an additional person because we're talking about games with fewer players. So I think we should maybe just start off with introducing Jeff Stormer. Hello, hello. Who pretty much needs no introduction as the king of the two-player game. So Jeff is a fantastic podcaster, dear, wonderful friend of the show that we met uh, just before Stop, Hack, and Roll started recording uh, and he runs the incredible party of one podcast it's a fantastic show i can't recommend it enough uh jeff brings on one other person and they play these wonderful tight two-player games which really show off the fact that the hobby can be done in a way that a lot of other people don't consider um i think most people picture sitting down to play a game of DD with four five six God help you if it's 10 other people. But most people don't think two people sitting at a table. Yeah, well, and for years, that was sort of the the norm. Like, that was, I mean, D&D in the rulebook says you need three to six other people plus a game master. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it very clear in there. Yeah. So that was just the thing for years. So they just said, like, no, you have you have to have this. If you don't, you can't play. And I think the party of which is one, silly. Yeah, silly. I think party of one really shows that that is silly, and that you can have some really awesome, satisfying games in a bunch of different genres. That's what I. That's what the show aims to do. Yeah. Well, I love it because I think because like it's make believe. It's it's playing pretend. You can play pretend with two people. Yeah, and in and in a lot of ways, you can even get in and dig into that one character's story more than you would ever be able to if there were more players. That's probably my favorite thing about playing two-player games, is being able to play characters that you wouldn't be able to play in, like, a group game, and being able to, like, tell stories and focus on narratives that you really wouldn't be able to focus on in a two-player game. The thing that I come back to when I think of two-player games is your description of uh, Prometheus the Frankensteining, which... Oh, yeah, Promethean. I love Promethean. Pr- Promethean the Frankensteining, that's what it's called. Uh, which is that's a, what it's called, pretty much. Approximately, it's a it's a white wolf game. It's pretty well known. It probably doesn't need an introduction from me. It's really a game that is, in a lot of ways, about solitude and about somebody that's cast away from society. And so, having five dudes sitting around that are all cast away from society together doesn't quite hit the the genre, really. Yeah, it, and it's a game that like is about taking everything from you because, like, the universe itself is rejecting you and you have to go through this thing that, like, uh, it it feels phoned in to be like, yeah, but there's five of you, you're friends, hang out now. Exactly. No one can stand you, no one can be around you except for all of your buddies and friends. Yay, let's hold hands. Yeah, it just, it doesn't work. <laughs> but it does beautifully two-player. Oh, it's so, and it's and it's 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 a wonderful game if you just have that one player. The minute you add a second person, it's like, well, you've sort of undercut the tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. So what we were gonna, what I think, at least what I would like to do, is start talking about two-player games and kind of work our way down from there. Um, by which I mean games where you have two people involved, be that a GM and a player, or two players with no GM. Sure, that makes sense. So, Jeff, it's no secret that you've played a whole bunch of games with two people. Yes, this is true. What we want to do, or what I want to do, is sort of draw on your experience playing those two-player games. And sure. definitely talk about that. But, uh, but like, one of the things that we definitely focus on is our, our podcast is about hacking games and taking games that are to, to, to change their stories. And so focus on, I would like to focus on things that are good about games that are sort of natively designed to be two players. 
sure. and talk about how you could take other games and sort of apply, like fo- focus on those goals that the, 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 the natively two-player games do so well, and how could you port those things and use those to guide your hacking. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, all right. So, what do we have in our outline? I think point two is where to start. All right. So we do a lot of this, too, where we just <laughs> we out-edit the podcast. So if yeah, you ever sure. feel like I... you need to stop and re-say something, go ahead. I know. I know that dance all too well. <laughs> okay. So let's start off with some just ideas of games that are designed for two and what sorts of things we see within those games. Sure. So, Jeff, do you have a favorite game set for two? A favorite? I don't know if I have a favorite. I've played a lot of them. I I come back to... There's some that I come back to in thinking about them a lot. Okay. I really love... Um, I love Scarlet Heroes, but I think that's partially just because it is the sort of traditional dungeon crawly experience, but designed for two players. Yeah. I am a giant fan of a game called Our Radios Are Dying. I've made no secret of that. Oh, no. It's a game that I love feeling sad about. (laughs) Yeah. That was actually something I was going to bring up a little bit later, but Our Radios Are Dying is a wonderful game by Caitlin Bell that is just heart-wrenching and so sad. (laughs) And I can't even handle it. It's the saddest game. It's the saddest game, and it, I, I, it, it's, it's the best. It's the best, and it's so sad. Fourteen Days is another wonderful. Mm. Like, is another game that like I think I think about a lot. So that's probably up there in terms of my favorites. That's uh, Hannah Schaefer, I believe. Yes. Yeah, and I think those those I I don't have as much experience with Fourteen Days, but. To thinking about um, our radios are dying, it, it brings out a thing that is one of our bullet points that we wanted to talk about, which is when you have two players, one of the the things you have to think about more is um, are the players going to be, assuming that there are two physical people playing characters, are they going to be oppositional or are they going to be cooperative? It's a lot more, when you have a larger group, it's a lot more obvious that the group of players will be sort of more cooperative, I think. Um, opposing whatever goals or, or world that the GM is designing. But if you have two people, you can sort of play with that more. And Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually think that uh, Our Radiators Are Dying walks that line really well, of both sometimes being oppositional and sometimes being cooperative. It really does. And it's it's interesting. And that's something, that's a recurring trend if we're talking about things that show up in a lot of two-player games is just like a different a different angle of of relationships and like playing with those relationships is something that I think comes up in a lot of my favorite two player games. It's something I think that comes up a lot is playing with relationships and playing with that sense of intimacy of sitting down with one person and having a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of um 183 days, I think it is. Which, yeah, 183 days. Yeah, yeah six months and three days. Uh, another one that's about romance and two people, and there, there's all yeah, of these yeah. very intimate stories that can be told, whether whether they're romantic or whether they're just close connections, and maybe that kind of story really offers itself well with a two-player game because you can just have two people together and not have some person sitting next to you chomping on chips and waiting for their turn to come up. Yeah, I think part... I, I've noticed that, and I think part of it is that that there is this intimacy of sitting down with one person to, like, just have a conversation. Like, that's an inherently intimate experience. And so I've seen a lot... There's a lot of two-player games that are, like, romantic in nature, and I think part of that is because as a culture, like, as a, you know, culturally speaking, we associate intimacy first and foremost with right. romance. Like, that's who you, the person that you are intimate with is your romantic partner. 
And so I think a lot of games are sort of tackling that set, that heightened intimacy by sort of approaching it via romance. And I think that, but I think that you can take it in a lot of other places. You can, I think that that, but that intimacy, I think, is sort of the core, the common thread you'll find through maybe not all two-player games, but a lot of them. I can absolutely see yeah. that. It's making me think there needs to be like a two-player buddy cop romance uh, game. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. See, that's absolutely a relationship that I think would be a fantastic use of a two-player game because it plays on that intimacy of like the contrast between you yeah and like coming to a mutual understanding i think that would actually be a great two-player <laughs> rpg yeah. hashtag my next game <laughs> so i think if you're thinking about taking a game that isn't a two-player game and turning it into a two-player game focusing on interesting characters who have interesting relationships and focusing on specifically those relationships between the two characters as being sort of the core thrust of the game would be the probably the, one of the better ways to approach that. Yes, abs that's absolutely what I would say. So I think the, the, the best vein, if you're looking at a three- or four-player-plus game, I always say three-player game because I feel like just adding <laughs> that one person is sort of the key. Yeah. So, like, if you're looking at a three-player game and you're like, how do I boil that down to two? I think focusing on, like, what the key sort of... The key interaction and the key relationship is, I think, going to produce really fruitful results. Yeah. I think it's also... it. it I, I mean, it's just linguistically. It's two Between two and three is the difference between a group and a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, if you if you were even starting with something as as sort of non-social focused as Dungeons and Dragons, you would like with three people you're you're talking about the the focus sort of being on how can our group of people survive in this world? How can we delve into a dungeon? And with two people, it's more about how can the two of us survive and have each other's backs and there's a more there's a more clear relationship because there's two people. Right, you you make that yeah, switch absolutely. from Conan to Fard and the Grey Mauser, and suddenly the dynamic is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So finding ways to sort of to, to add mechanics that would um, draw out that relationship or poke at and prod that relationship would be things you would want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's whether it's just like a prompt that you fill out in the beginning, like um, like Dungeon World's various like bonds and mm -hmm. questions they ask you. Whether it's just like hammering in and making sure to ask those questions, or find or like doing something closer to a um, like an NPC again, like a Dungeon World like bond mechanic, where it's a thing that if they're present, they like they impact the story in a mechanical sense, like doing things to sort of force a focus on those relationships i think is good yeah certainly any apocalypse world game that has some sort of a strings or attachments mechanic once you drop away all the other characters except for two suddenly you're focusing all of your strings on each other and your bonds on each other and yeah. that would be kind of overwhelming i maybe, i had an, in a good way i had an interesting experience playing some urban shadows one-on-one -on -one. And Urban Shadows is a Magpie Games uh, powered by the Apocalypse game. I've talked about it a billion times. It's urban fantasy, and I love it. Uh, but what we found is that we created an enormous amount of NPCs. And so it really became, in a big way, that one character threading their way through all of these stories in kind of the same way that you would with a movie. Yeah, right, absolutely. Which I thought was actually really effective, yeah. I love Urban Shadows as a two-player game, personally. That was something I wanted to bring up, because we've been talking about games where you have two characters being played by two players, but if you have two people with only one character, uh, you did um, an episode with All Out of Bubblegum, and I thought that like sort of singularly worked really well, because that person who's doing all sorts of butt-kicking can do that without being afraid of stepping on another player's toes. And that's interesting because that's a game that doesn't really play on like relationships, but it all but it does work really well in two players because it is one that like the world itself is so outsized 
that you're sort of, yeah, like you said, it's sort of a thing where you're not stepping on anybody's toes. You're, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about, like, you can tell stories that you couldn't tell in a larger group, or you could play characters that you couldn't tell. I think if, if, if you were to take an all out of bubblegum character and put it into any other <laughs> game, except for maybe feng shui, like, it would look obnoxious. Yeah. Because you're responding to every, like, minor task with, well, I'm gonna shoot open this door, and I'm gonna, like, skateboard down. But, like, being, having that spotlight on yourself, it doesn't, it's fine. Like, it changes, it's... Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between Die Hard and, uh, The Expendables. So, I think it's also interesting that certain games have tried really hard to make it clear that you can play it one player and have put in all sorts of systems without necessarily changing how the genre is baked in. Because I can't go a single mm-hmm. uh, episode without talking about genre bacon. Uh, <laughs> delicious, delicious genre bacon. I remember in D&D 3.5, and probably earlier editions as well, there were gestalt characters, which were characters that mm-hmm. took two level progressions at the same exact time, and were just way more powerful than a regular character. And it was explained that the reason yeah. that someone might play a gestalt character is in order to play a one-player game, or a game with very few PCs. But I don't think that actually fixes any of the problems of playing Dungeons & Dragons with only one PC. No, I don't think it really does, because I think that it might mechanically fix it, but it feels like the storytelling is still shifted in a weird way. I've never been a big fan of Gestalt characters. Uh, I feel exactly the opposite, but... Good! I don't know about no, that. please, then, but, please. But, I, I mean, I like... You can have a wrong opinion, go ahead. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think I like I like, I like like multiple-person, sort of singular Gestalt characters in a as a narrative thing. I, I agree that I don't know if it would work as a as a role-playing character. Yeah, it felt... That always felt like a weird solution to the issue, because... Well, and I think that 3.5 is is an example of a game that I think struggles to fit into a two-player thing, and I think Gestalt is a good example of that, because a lot of 3.5 is... And I think 4th edition is very similar. 5th edition, they sort of, like... I feel felt like they figured it mm-hmm. out in 5th edition, but 4th edition and 3.5 are so focused on, like, your character has a role within the party right. infrastructure. Yeah. And I think that's a tremendous strength of the game, particularly as a group game. I think I've, my hot take is that I think 4th edition is still the finest example of D&D, what D&D wants to be. I think, uh. As a game where you are going into a dungeon and killing a monster. Yeah, as a group. I think Dungeon World is the best edition of D&D. <laughs> I look. I love Dungeon World to death, and I agree. I if given the choice between Fourth Edition Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeon World, I will choose Dungeon World ten times out of ten. But I think for if if the story that you were interested in telling is a tactical story of going into a dungeon and fighting somebody, I think Fourth Edition is the finest balanced of all of the games, and I think it's a successful in that regard. It certainly gives you characters that are all doing awesome things all the time yeah yeah and i think but but the thing about that game is that every character ties into the whole yeah so that like you have a very clearly defined role within the group of a thing that you do well and i think that that and 3.5 sort of wasn't official it wasn't codified like it is in fourth edition but i think that it it still did it and i think that's why the game as a game really struggled to get that two-player focus absolutely agree yeah and so if we were going to do a brief mechanical aside, if you were going to do a two-player game in something like D&D 3.5 or 4E, you have to sort of, like, because you have that, I mean, in 4th edition you do have some degree of ability to heal and have second wins and stuff like that Yeah. as a character that is with a group that doesn't have a healer, but... Um, so much of the the group, the, each of the characters is designed to be surrounded by other players with other characters that can do things to emphasize them. You would almost have to blur over some of those things and focus on more of the inter-character or single or just whatever inter-relationships between that character, that player, and if there's another player, 
that player. Yeah, no, I get, I, I get, yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the things you'd have to remember with 3.5 or 4e is uh, action economy and ability to heal. I think those are kind of your two big things that make it so that a single player can't rock it on their own. So my quick hack, uh, no more flanking, maybe raise base attack bonus by one for the PC, and free action to drink a potion. And I think you could then play. Yeah, I could get behind that. I don't know that it would be as satisfying, but I think that would work. Yeah. The other hack that I would probably suggest is taking a cue from other games, which is to say, you, the play, you the PC, always go yeah. first. That could be help, very helpful. I think because that would tie the action, putting the action economy direct, like getting putting you up front, and giving you the, giving making everything react to you would sort of put that spotlight on you in a way similar to how it does with, like, All Out of Bubblegum. Yeah. Initiative really, as a whole, fails to serve the the function it's intended to when there's only one of you. Yes. It's all good and and fine to say, well, these three kobolds are going to go first, and then you're going to go, and then the ogre is going to go last. But, like, that's not really the same as if there's other players sprinkled in there, too. Right. We want the hero to run in. I agree. Doing away with that sort of thing and just sort of saying, what does the player do? react as the NPCs. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, so that was an unexpected little turn into how we <laughs> would do D&D. Yeah, every once in a while we get real nitty-gritty with D&D. Which is good. No, I, I, I'm all in. Because D&D 3 and 4 are both games that, like, as somebody doing a lot of single-player hacks, are things that I've looked at and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How you would do it. So I appreciate yeah. this discussion. <sighs> so so for mechanically heavy games like that, you have to you have to you're gonna either have to fudge more of the rules to make them function without a group, or add mechanics in to find social conflict to focus on between characters or players. And but so for lighter games, uh, things like I mean, we already said sort of Apocalypse World I think does uh, would do really well because a lot of the same mechanics that are there to bind you to other players work just as well if you bind those characters to NPCs. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I was actually going to shout, um, call out another game that I think has a mechanic that I think plays well with a single-player format, even if it was not designed as such which is uh, Tears of a Machine by Russell Collins. It's a game we played on the show. Um, one of its mechanics is there are featured NPCs. And every time a featured NPC is in a scene, it it, impl- like, it impacts the roles that you make. Hmm. Like, it's almost like adding an aspect in Fate, where, like, the minute you add that character, oh. like, they, 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 they inform the story. And that's a mechanic that were, that plays really well because you can they like help you generate ego and they help you like push your your goals and your fears and that's a really clever way to do it is just to say like here's here's your key relationships when they're in play thing like things are going to more move more directly and adding dice adding rules to that was a really smart move huh, that's that's cool I like that. That is really cool. I'm really into that. I need to read Tears of a Machine now. Oh, it's a great game. I love it. Russell's also working on a two-player game based on it, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Are we ready for hard mode? Well, I wanted to talk about uh, Noir World, because some, we've been talking a lot about certain different kinds of games, but also specific genres are going to work better. Like, right. Noir is a great genre to play with one or two players because that you can have those classic noir moments where the main character monologues or steps off to the side. So noir is a good genre to tell. Um, I think action heroes to get that sort of diehard feeling are good genres. Mm -hmm. What other genres play really well with one or two characters? Well, noir I wanted to give a real specific shout-out to because actually um, one of our first episodes was a noir episode. We played, on uh, Party of One, we played a detective game. And after we did that, we used uh, the Esoterrorist, which is mm-hmm. Gumshoe. 
After we did that, they announced a game called Gumshoe 1 to 1, which is an explicitly two-player version of Gumshoe. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the most obvious thing in the world. And they're, they're, they, they said exactly what you said, which is like, detective stories are not historically a group affair. Yeah. Histori- like, historically, there's very rarely a group of detectives. There's Scooby-Doo and Hanna-Barbera-related <laughs> characters, and that's pretty much it. The most, va- the vast majority of detective stories are a lone wolf or, like, a yeah. pair working, going rogue. Sam Spade did not have a cartoon dog that followed him around. Yeah, there were not three people, there were not three people hanging out with Sam Spade that had complementary abilities all of whom got a moment to shine, and all of whom had individual plot threads that were intersecting. But you did have Nick and Nora Charles in The Thin Man, and that's... so. Yes, like, you also had, like, the Hardy yeah. Boys, but, like, even then you had the two characters that were kind of isolated from the yeah. police, and sort of, like, on their own, so, like, they were telling, they were generating the narrative themselves. So Gumshoe 1 to 1 isn't actually out yet, right? No, no, there were it's it's TBD at the moment, and it's driving me so mad. <laughs> I'm yeah. so angry that I don't have this game yet. We'll have to do a follow up on for this when that comes out because that will be a di- direct system that was designed for multiple players mm-hmm. that is being redesigned by its own creators to do two players. I particularly want Gumshoe One to One to come out because it's going to have sections on two-player role-playing games written by Robin Laws, and I'm like, that's yeah. that's everything I want in the world. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I think that urban fantasy, including and maybe especially monster hunting things, are one-player affairs. Yeah, I could see that. I think one or two players, you get a lot of, like... The Winchesters. Because you get the, like, yeah, the Winchesters. But I also, I, I, I agree and I, I disagree in equal measure. I just picture uh, your Von Helsing, your Dresden from the Dresden Files, and I just see one main character that has a lot of side characters, and any time I'm in a game, I want to make sure that all the players feel like they're equally important in the story. Well, that's actually... I was actually going to use Van Helsing to slightly disagree with the notion that monster hunting might be... And I was going to use Dresden to disagree. Because... Well, because Dracula, Dracula is, I mean, by the structure of the novel, all of the characters in that monster hunting party are main characters. Yeah, that's true. Because the novel itself is, they're all, they're all writing letters, so every one of those characters is a focal point character. And it is fundamentally about, uh, the power of friendship overcoming the vampire. (laughs) It is only when those four people come together and they stake the heart of Dracula that they're able to kill him. That is very true. Well, I was going to say that Dresden works if you... And, like, the other one that um, that I was going to bring up was something like Firefly. They really work if you've got a group that is ready to say, this player is playing the captain, or they're playing Dresden, and everyone else is playing side characters, and you're cool with that. But Yeah, absolutely. And so I think they can work, but they do probably shine the most if you have a two-player game. Doctor Who is another good example yeah. of that. Well, like you could play it with multiple players and have one player play the Doctor and everybody else play a companion. I mean, that's a classic yeah. format. But if you're playing a single player, that one player just gets to be the character that everybody kind of wants to be. And no one has to play K9. Everybody kind of wants to play the Doctor. <laughs> if you're sitting down to play Doctor Who. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you if solve all of those Buffy, problems. If I'm playing Buffy, I don't want to be a member of the Scooby Gang. Which is part of the reason yeah, you don't want to be Xander. The, the Chosen is such a controversial playbook for Monster Hearts. Yeah. But alright. So hard mode. Hard mode. Well, harder mode. Yeah, it's hard mode then insane mode. But first hard mode. One player games. It's just you. There are a couple of these. Yeah, no, there are a few out there. I was surprised at how many there were. I've played, I think, all of them. Have you really? That I can think of. Oh, that's amazing. I have played none of them. Two of them I've been curious about playing. One of them I'm seeing for the first time right now. Let's just jump in on one. Let's talk about Quill first. Uh, Jeff may be able to correct me on some of this, because you've actually played it. Yes. I've I've only looked at it 
and gone, ooh, I want to play that at some point, and haven't actually played it. But you know what? I'm going to make a vow right now that I'll play it. I think it's good. I think it's neat. I think it's a neat game. I like it. So Quill is from Trollish Delver Games, and it is a letter-writing role-playing game for a single player. Yes. You are a person in, like, a fairy tale setting, writing a letter to a person that is described in a prompt. Hmm. And the way that it works is... It's like a, there's a point system that kind of determines, like, you're writing the letter, and there is a an, a well of words. They say an ink well of words. If okay. you can find a way to use those words in the letter that you're writing, you get points. And there's also, like, you roll some dice for your penmanship. <laughs> it's, like, bit <laughs> stuff like that. Like, it's all about the act of writing this letter. And when you finish writing the letter, you count the number of words you roll for your penmanship and you get a number of points, like a, like a discrete, you're like, this is a 12-point letter. Hmm. And it has, like, a rubric on the, on the, there's a prompt page that you're looking at that gives you the words. It tells you, like, what the letter you're writing. It's like, you're a knight who, or you're writing to your sick aunt. Right. And depending on the number of points, it could be, your aunt gets better. Your aunt doesn't get better. That's really cool. So there's feedback from the game. Yeah, the game is designed to give you that feedback of, like, depending on how successful you are. Uh, these one-player games have, I think, something in common that that the format is not exactly what we're used to from a role-playing game in general. Because people play, I play, games on forums by play-by-post, but it's not kind of core D&D, core tabletop be writing a letter and yeah. never in my forum role-playing games have i had someone tell me oh that post was worth seven points a real common trend and we see it in quill and we're going to see it in the other kind of the other examples that come up is they're much more i i say the productive is the word i would use but i use that in a very literal like you produce a thing while playing okay that's not to yeah. imply that like you know this is the real work like <laughs> They, they are all, this, the, there's a common trend that, like, you, as you play a one-player role-playing game, you make a thing. Yeah, I was looking at, as you were describing Quill, I was looking down at the rest of our list where we've got things like The Beast, which I know is also another journal yeah. game, and I'm starting to think that one-player games feel a lot like writing a novel. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, and they're very, yeah, they're very, yeah, I'd agree with that. Not, not necessarily that you would have to, but that maybe if you were even going to sit down and do any kind of one-player game, you could journal about it, and then that thing at the end that you have could be something you could publish. Right, yeah. If you were, your quality was high enough. Or at least could be the starting place for a novel. Yeah. It's it's almost like the opposite of mm-hmm. one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. It's telling you some of your yeah. results, yeah. but you're providing all of the text. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, especially because when you think about larger role-playing games, how the stories are very ephemeral. You're 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 sitting around a table telling a story together, and the only record of that is the players. And here you're playing with just you, and but you're actually writing something down. So it's weird that there's that the record of the play is more concrete. In some yeah, ways. that's interesting. Although I know for the next game, I think the rules specifically say that you need to destroy your to- your uh, product. Yes, yes they do. They do specify that you have to... I think they specify that you're supposed to burn it. So that, that game is The Beast. Yes, The Beast. Yeah, let's talk about The Beast. So The Beast is a game by Alexandra Santoska and Camille Wagrinowitz. And remind me if I get this wrong, but it's it's essentially another... It's another journaling game yeah. where you are writing about... I believe you have a beast in your basement. Well, it's it's in a place. You ha- there's a beast. It has come into your life. You are hiding it somewhere, somewhere that no one can find it, and you are having sex with it. Yeah, like you do. And so yeah, so it is definitely like a physical, actual beast. The game starts out. You specify. 
the way that it looks, the way it feels, the way it smells, and it is... They give you some prompts. They're like, well, it's, could it smell like dirt or like orange peel or like wet grass? And it's, mm-hmm. it has prompts like, what turns you on about the beast that you are not comfortable with? What scares you about the beast? If we are defining two-player games as being games where you're shifting focus away from a group dynamic or and sort of even a, really just a larger story and you're and you're sort of focusing down on one character or, or two characters and their specific story and relation and interrelationships one player games are seem like they're being defined by you are a character and that or you're a person and you are experiencing a thing and in some way you are journaling or thinking about or recording your experiences of that thing. Yeah, that's what I that's that's one of the trends that I've noticed a lot is that yeah, if I if I'm say if I would say that two player games are about exploring the relationship between two people, one player game is about exploring your relationship with yourself in some capacity. Nice. Yeah. Because like the beast is all about like as the story goes on, it's all about how you react to these various monstrous prompts. These various like weird sexual monstrous prompts. And along the way, like, yeah. like, you're sort of, the, the horror of it is you're sort of confronting, like, your visceral responses to these things. And, like, Quill is sort of a similar thing where you're, like, exploring your, how you would convey a certain thought if you were a person in a certain right. time. Cause I was, I was thinking, if you were gonna take a game like Dungeons and Dragons or Dungeon World or some kind of a more combat fantasy themed focus like there's nothing that stops you from sitting down by yourself with a character sheet and some dice and rolling on a random table and generating a dungeon and and doing all the mechanical fighting because like we talked about in our first episode all way back three whatever month couple months ago um three there's there's um there's not a whole lot like when you're talking about combat in D&D it's really obvious usually what the monsters are going to do and certainly if there's only one of you it's really obvious because they're going to be attacking you but that would just go fast and the interesting thing would be how does your character think about like delving in a dungeon it would be interesting to do another sort of novel or a journal writing game where you did roll up some combat run through that and then write a journal from the point of view of your character sitting around a fire after like yeah, clearing the I level of the dungeon. Yeah, I would be really into that. Because th- I've played a lot of solo RPGs of the, the table rolling sort. Scarlet Heroes has a really robust series of tables for that sort of thing. So if that's your, if that's your bag, like, it's there. Yeah, w- when I was in high school I had a folder that was called 1 to 20 which was just characters that I'd created on my own that I knew I was never going to play going from level 1 to level 20 so I would create these characters using this book and get very detailed in terms of their backstory and make three or four different characters and just run through the dungeon page by page roll by roll and there was something to it certainly not the same fix as sitting around with a group of friends but this was before you could play D&D on the internet right and there's yeah there's a certain satisfaction to doing that but i think i but like i've always kind of like done it for a while and then sort of idly moved on but i think if i were to structure it in some way like where i was like writing about these probably pretty traumatic experiences yeah after the fact, I feel like that would probably be a really fruitful way to, like, bring something into that and sort of bring in that those, those same principles of, like, what makes a one-player RPG a one-player RPG, that sort of productive element beyond just writing down, like, I rolled a six, that means the hallway is <laughs> straight. So, so here's what I'm picturing now. I'm picturing some people that are in a kind of adventurer's guild together each running game solo and sending in reports to the guildmaster. (laughs) 
through different letters and stuff like that as a way <laughs> to build up a group story thing. That would be a really cool quill hack. That, it would be cool to do that as a game within a game thing if you had a character who was a regular in a group game, but that player couldn't be there for a session, have them play a solo game of that um, explaining mm. what their character was doing during That's the rest of the cool. adventure. Yeah. And have like the whole and have the group write up a list of words or something to, to inspire and use. And then have the the player who couldn't be there write up a letter back to the group explaining what was going on. I would do that. I have a weird fascination with nesting games within each other. Oh, I love it. I'm all about it. I love it. So, Jeff, have you also played The Plant? Yes, I have. It was actually the first, uh, like, single-player... It was probably the first single-player or two-player game that I'd ever played. It was probably the first, like, small group game I've ever played. So, The Plant is a Jason Morningstar game uh, from Bullet yep. Pulpit. As I understand it, you have a friend who was lost in, like, a factory or a plant, maybe? Yeah, you're, like, entering into a factory to find someone close to you. I forget if it's specified if it's your daughter or not. Oh, yeah, the game is, it's your daughter is in the plant. You are going to find her. Yeah, so you're, like, trying to find your daughter through this, like, weird factory. That's cool. We've been talking about one-player games being games that you play, like, without repeating myself a little bit, but games that you play by yourself. Do you think that... And, and so, as as a result of the fact that the types of one-player games we're talking about, and are you by yourself, and you're journaling usually because that's either for yourself or to eventually later show somebody else, because we're talking about at the time of the game occurring... It's just you. Do you think you could do a one-player game that was something of a performance piece where you're the only one playing, but there are other people watching? I think so, yeah. I think you could definitely do that. We talked about uh, Ten Candles the other day when we were talking about games in weird places, and I liked the idea of sending around a campfire or something like that and playing the game like that, where it's just you talking about your experience in this sort of, like, horror scenario, but other people are listening, and they're there, and they're still being affected by the changes to the environment that you're making, but it's just you. Mm. As a way to... You're still playing... And I don't know if you'd call those people players, because they're not doing anything, they're just there experiencing it. I think that if we're getting... The way that we're structuring some of these things, I think the question is the people that are around the table having an effect. So if someone is not able to interact with the game, and sitting three feet away with a judgmental look on your face is definitely interacting. Yeah. If someone isn't able to interact, then they're audience, not player. But if you're playing the beast and someone is sitting next to you going mm. ah. yeah they're interacting that's a third player that's a second player rather. yeah 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 that actually <laughs> weirdly leads us really well into i think <laughs> super hard mode can you have a game that has no players so We've been coming up with stupid thoughts for this, Jeff. Uh, okay. We've spent weeks coming up with stupid thoughts. Uh, so I'm going to share my game first. Uh, because, so, before you do that, to our knowledge, nobody else has written a zero-player game that I'm aware of, at least. So you're so you're trailblazing, got it. Yeah, so the three of us are changing the face of role-playing games forever. So, tell us about this game, Brendan. So... The person who writes the game creates a recording ahead of time with things that can or can that like things that will be responded to theoretically if a player was playing the game like a list of questions uh like like scenarios that are happening okay but for the most part it's things that the story could go on its own without any interference then you 
so you, you buy this MP3 and you play it next to an EVP meter. So an EVP reader, for those who don't watch ghost hunting shows, which that's your loss, is uh, electronic voice projections, which are things within electromagnetism that sound like voice, and sometimes you can hear words, and it makes for some very compelling TV. So you hit play on your MP3 player, you stick your recorder in the middle of the table, and you leave the room for an hour and a half, or however long the module is, and later on you get the actual play that has the EVPs and the original prompt. And there's a zero-player game that's an actual play. Well, well, here's my question. Okay. Here's my here's here's my potential wrinkle. Okay. If your house is haunted, <laughs> does that ghost then count as a player? So yeah, there is a little bit of an assumption in this that EVP doesn't actually work. Or, I mean, ignoring the possibility of ghosts being real, someone is creating that original prompt recording. That might be the game then, and creating it would be you playing the game. Right, so the recording is Gary Gygax writing a book. Okay. That's the product you buy. You buy the set that is the single recording. Okay, so I see what you're saying. When it's being played, it's when the EVP is recording stuff. Uh, So yes, I mean, technically, it is as many players as there are ghosts in your house. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like (laughs) there are zero... Probably most of the time it's going to be a zero-player game, but like, if there's a ghost, like, that ghost is technically playing your game. Yeah. So... I guess my closest idea was if you took a game, like if you took your 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 um your Apocalypse World handbook and just put it in a room and closed the door and then didn't ever go in that room again. Ever. <laughs> or for a period of time. For four to six hours. They I don't know if that really works. That's not really... It might have to be a specifically designed game to be played by itself. I think that if it's just a book in a room, then anytime everybody goes to sleep, there are just billions of zero-player games going on, so I don't know if that counts. We had talked about if you had a game mechanic or system, and then you gave, like, Pandora... Like, if everyone who was listening or participating, they gave Pandora a song, and you made a playlist, and you let that sort of random playlist define the actions of the game exclusively, then you have a bunch of observers observing Pandora playing the game. But Pandora isn't really a player, because it's not a person. And that might be a sort of experience that might be considered a game, I think that's the closest thing I've got. Yeah, I think something like Ribbon Drive. Yeah. Jeff, if you come up with a better zero-player game idea than us, without having any warning after we spent weeks thinking about it, gonna cry. Role-playing game? I don't know. I could probably... I think I could come up with a zero-player at least miniatures game. <laughs> Let's hear that. I'm on board. I don't know how familiar either of you are with electronic football. Uh, I might be under a different... Like the old 70s one where you start the thing and the, the it kind of, like, shakes. I think it's like an air hockey table where it just blows yeah, yeah, up yeah, air. Yeah. And you put the, the, the little, little hot football guys, guys on. There, I think if you... <laughs> Actually, I kind of feel like... No, I, I think that this could be a zero-player RPG. If you were to define a character. Okay. You define a character and you put them on the board. Right. The air hockey board. There were various monster pieces and traps and things. You put it on there, you flip and a switch, and you left. <laughs> <laughs> and it blows the air, or it vibrates, or however that works. Yeah. And that piece slides along the board, and it might, and if it knocks, and you come back in an hour, mm-hmm. and you look at what has happened. <laughs> Experience the aftermath. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, it knocked over the dragon, but it looks like the giant knocked it over and it fell into the pit. That would be an interesting experience 
as a sort of forensic experiment <laughs> to like as a group of people tell a story about the events that you think happened based off of oh, that'd be something fun. that happened when you weren't there. I've got another one. I've got another one. It's a pachinko machine. <laughs> the main character is the ball that's dropped from the top. Oh. And there's different uh All right. there's different uh sections on it that are different monsters and things like that and it tells a story as it goes down. Uh or just like the different sections of it are has a fan like gets married, falls in love, oh, yeah, we, goes to college. We can make it real emotional. Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest was <laughs> That's what I was going to suggest was that like Ooh, That's good. I like that. You could you could do it the way that I could I would see it working is you would is it would build a piece of essentially microfiction yeah. because what I'm envisioning is like the the hole where you, the slot where you drop the mm-hmm. thing you drop the pachinko thing in it can go to one of like three spots right yeah slots I guess you would call them each of those three slots so like the slot where you drop it in has a sentence and it's like this was the day that I and you dropped it <laughs> and that first those first three slots it says like got married, mm-hmm. met my rival. Oh, that's amazing. Like, lost everything. And you follow and each it. of those would have, like, two or three different things, and then all of those would connect into the previous thing. And then you follow it all the way down to the, the death of the main character. You... Yeah, like, you drop it in, and I'm imagining the setup would have to have, like, lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, again, I'm imagining you drop it in and yeah. you leave. <laughs> In order for it yep. to be zero player, you come yeah. back in. You see the lights that have lit up all the way down. You see the the row of lit up sentences. Hmm. And cool. it's like, okay, that's the, that's the narrative it told. Okay, so so <laughs> so wait, we have just made this way <laughs> more complicated than it ever needs to be. Brandon, look, move to California. Turn your entire basement into a miniature train setup. Put miniatures everywhere. Wait for an earthquake to happen. <laughs> I, I'm just... That doesn't seem more fun to you? No, I agree it's more fun. Never I... never go in your basement. <laughs> What's with your weird anti-pachinko virus? What, or bias? Why would you not want to just... I... Have you ever played I've pachinko, Brandon? Pachinko. It's super fun. I was the one suggesting it in so the I first think, place. I think we've settled on pachinko is the greatest <laughs> zero-player game. So this has been a way loopier episode. <laughs> Yeah, we got to a weird... I was not expecting a, this, but yeah, I think I think we hit on a lot of interesting things. We've addressed two-player games, we've addressed one-player games, and we rambled incoherently about Pachinko for 20 minutes. We solved the issue of zero-player games using yeah, Pachinko. You're welcome. We've yeah. innovated. And we've addressed what stories you can tell with different amounts of players to help guide you if you are hacking a system to have a, a different number of players. Is, is the final take on that, the fewer people, the more introspective? I think so. Up to and including I think zero definitely. players. Well, because the Pachinko machine would have to be like... Very introspective. A first-person account of a thing. So yeah, I think so. And I, it's, yeah. it's weird, because okay. I've never thought about D&D or a large group game from the point of view of it having the luxury of dealing with larger stories. Whereas if you're limited to two players, you kind of have to deal with those two players and their relationship to each other and people around them. But you are, it is more restrictive in terms of scale and point of view if you have fewer players. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. As well you know, my favorite kinds of games are the ones that are very focused on what they're trying to do. Yeah. So, Jeff, I have one last question before we move on. What is... So, so you play a lot of games that are designed for two players. What is an example, or do you even have an example, of a game that was originally designed for more players, but you've tried to play it with two players, and it didn't go that well? Yeah, I think I do. What are, like... I'm looking for um, potholes to avoid if people are hacking games... Where what are missteps people other people have made that you've experienced? I would say a big misstep is we've talked we talked about balance. We talked about like games that are balanced towards that, like fourth edition D and D, where it's balanced 
where it's specifically balanced towards the numbers themselves add up towards four people. I think that's a real challenge. And the other one is there are certain games that, to their credit, this is the, and in both cases these are features, not bugs, that are designed to emulate the way that a group interacts. Like, oftentimes, uh, Cortex games, um, your leverages, mm. your, yeah. uh, your small bills, those games are designed to emulate how a cast of characters interacts with each other. Yeah. And I think that creates a struggle. There's also, um, the one particular game I think of, even more so than any of the Cortex games, is One Last Job. I don't believe it can be done with two players. Oh. Yeah. I was thinking it, it would also be difficult, I was thinking, to do like something like Fiasco. Yes, Fiasco's the other example of a game I would not do with two players. One Last Job might be playable two players GM-less. I feel like even then, though, the heist is so low complexity that I think that you wouldn't get the that's need true. of what the game is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's, those are interesting examples of games where that that you would probably say are, if getting back to our genre bacon, um, are games that have a high amount of genre baked into them, and the genre that they are going with are sort of ensemble cast stories. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So those are going to be things you would always struggle with. Yeah, any game that is designed to emulate something with a large cast, with an ensemble, I think is going to stumble when you try to take that ensemble out of it. So thank you, Jeff, for joining us on this episode. Oh, thank you. This, thank you. And, thank and you. lending your experience and expertise in this matter. And Jeff, do you have anything you'd specifically like to plug? Where can people find you? Yes, absolutely. Um, Party of One can be found at soundcloud.com slash partyofonepodcast. Uh, I also do a podcast called All My Fantasy Children, which is character creation by committee. Uh, Aaron Catano and I, um, we create characters for role-playing games based on listener prompts. They are very, very good. They're very beautiful. It's a very beautiful process. It's the miracle of life. Um, that can be found at soundcloud.com slash allmyfantasychildren. You can follow Party of One at Party of One Pod, All My Fantasy Children at AMFC underscore podcast. Yeah. And we are, uh, as always, are James and Brandon. And you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, both of us sharing the same account at, at Stop Hack and Roll. Or just me at and the meltdowns and i'm at dr captain kobold we also have a facebook at http colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash stop hack and roll or our website which is just stop hack and roll dot com and and you can email us at james or brandon at stop hack and roll dot com we have a Tumblr now, which is Stop, Hack, and Roll. I've posted very little on it, but Megan from Modifier threatened to steal our name. <laughs> so I put one up. Uh, we also have a G+. So yeah, follow us on uh, on the social medias. Follow Jeff. Um, like and, and favorite and rate and five star and high five and all that stuff. Uh, both our podcasts. Um, and hey, check it out next, at, I think the week after this releases, or maybe the same week as this releases, I'm going to be on Party of One, and we had a lot of fun. September 27th, however that ties into the show. That will... That'll be the following week. That'll be the following week, The yes. following Tuesday. Um, And mice are involved, so that's amazing. Sweet. So um, as you are sitting alone in your house, not looking at the game of uh, D&D behind you, slowly putting uh, balls into your pachinko machine, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. probably don't want to get your standard crew together and play it as a group bring some beer some cheetos and we're gonna we're gonna explore the beasts that we're sleeping with in our basement there's just bells and and buns and tacos all over the ground 
I was going to say Die Hard with a Vengeance, but that's because I got a hot take on Die Hard with a Vengeance. And I'm going to say right now, fudging rules is not allowed at my table. Your plug is shameful and you have disgraced your podcast. Please like like and subscribe, soundcloud.com slash all my fantasy children.